Uh, yeah, like Brad said, I'm a, I'm a leader here with Oasis, and um, he sort of asked me to teach week three of our series titled Flipped, and tonight in particular we're going to be talking about labels, so if you have a Bible or, or grabbing one, um, you can go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. All right, if I, could, uh, if I could think of one word to describe labels, I think I would simply say labels are dangerous. See, our culture loves labels. Our culture uses uh, commercials and ads and marketing to sort of sell us labels. They sort of sell us something to aspire to and also something to reject. And, and coincidentally, what we tend to do is we tend to aspire to be like people who fit the right label. And we also coincidentally reject those who don't maybe have the right label. So labels are dangerous for a lot of reasons. Um, we love to label people. You do it. You don't even think about it. It's, it's like your nature. You love doing it. Um, we label people based on how they act, based on uh, what they're wearing, how good they're doing in school, where they work, the kind of car they drive. Tons and tons of reasons why we label people. We also label people by association. Sometimes we label people without even knowing who they are. We just look at who they're sitting next to or who they're talking to, and we instantly throw a label on them. And, and the, kind of the downside to this is we also expect labels. Many of us, we, we expect, because we love to give them out, we also expect them in return. So we, we spend hours and hours and hours and endless amounts of energy trying to, I don't know, feel accepted maybe? Trying to get the right label from friends maybe that we're not friends yet with, but we want to be friends with? So we spend all this time on Facebook or updating relationship statuses or maybe we go and buy something because we think that purchase will change who we are. And then there's a few of you in this room who are, um, you're trapped. You're trapped in a label. Maybe you've been given a label a long time ago and you're just sort of trapped with that label. Once a weirdo, always a weirdo. And you just sort of live with it. You don't feel like you can ever get out from under it. You feel trapped, and, and it's just like this burden, like it's just on top of you, and there's nothing you can do about it. I, I wouldn't be able to do justice to sharing with you guys about labels if I didn't talk about sin. So the great thing about labels is that every time we see them, every, every time we see people throw them out or, or people try to strive to get the right label, we can just see that that is sin sort of working its way in to relationships and things like that. So we love to label people, but we don't, we don't think about the hurt and the pain that sin sort of works its way into on what those labels might do to other people. Or maybe we spend all this energy trying to receive labels, and, and sin sort of blinds us into wanting to get a label, but not really seeing what God has in store for us. And then, like I said, maybe you guys are trapped, and, and sin sort of has you right where you're at, especially if your relationship with God isn't the best. Maybe you sinned yesterday. Maybe you sinned 10 minutes ago while we were worshiping. And sin's kind of got you trapped. It's like, oh, why would a holy God ever want to have a relationship with you? So those are kind of so a few reasons right off the bat why, why labels are dangerous. Um, I think in the end, 
we've got to focus less on labels and focus more on sin. And when we focus more on sin, we realize that sin infects us and it affects us. And quite frankly, the, the culture that's in love with sin is really in love with labels, and, and it's really a slave to labels and a slave to sin as well. So if you've got your Bibles open, we'll go to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, what we're going to see in this passage is we're, I'm going to show you guys some characteristics of Jesus Christ. I think that when we look at the characteristics of Jesus Christ, we're, we're going to not only find ways to overcome sin, but we're going to find ways to overcome and, and have victory in sin, especially labels. So let me kind of set this up a little bit. Um, Jesus and his disciples are on a boat, and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. They're on a return trip back to Capernaum. And so you can just imagine you're on this boat, and, and all you see is, is water everywhere. It's the Sea of Galilee. All you see is water. And then up ahead, there's, on the horizon, there's, the city is kind of getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you get up a little bit further, and there's your shore. And you, keep, you get up a little bit further, and, and then there's the crowd of people, and they're waiting on the shore. And this is the same group, this is the same crowd that Jesus was teaching to the day before. They've been waiting on the shore for him. And I just imagine the, the boat comes right up to the shore, and, and Jesus sort of, you know, takes, takes one step off the boat, not two, just one, and the crowd instantly presses around him because, because they, they want to be taught. He doesn't even get away from the water. The water's probably going right under his feet, and he's teaching right there on the shore. Mark chapter 5, verse 21 says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came here. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. This is really interesting because we don't know a whole lot about Jairus outside of a, a few things. He's a synagogue leader. He's a man. In that culture, it's a huge thing. Um, if I was to tell you a little bit about synagogue leaders or synagogue rulers, these are, these are men that are well-respected. They have the right labels. They work with Pharisees. You know Pharisees are sort of more or less teachers of the law. He, a synagogue leader is the more of the guy that is in charge of the events at the synagogue. He's kind of the administration where he handles some of the, uh, the organizational skills there. So he's well-liked, he's well-connected, got lots of friends, wealthy, obviously has to know a lot of people because people are constantly coming in and out of the synagogue. And right here on the shore, he, he falls down at the feet of Jesus. He would sacrifice his label if anyone saw him, if anyone caught him bowing down to someone who they didn't think was God. But he has good reason. It says in the next verse, it says, Jairus, and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived and live. So Jesus went with him. I love Jairus' faith in this verse. Look at the absolute statement. He says, he says, come, Jesus, so that my daughter will live. It's not come, maybe you heal her, maybe she survives for a few more days. It's, it's, I know she's dying, and the only thing I need is you there, because she will live. And Jesus went with him. Right off the bat, we have a few characteristics of Jesus that I want you to write down if you're taking notes. Number one, Jesus is available. Jesus is available. He's the kind of guy that gets right off the crowd or gets right off the boat and the crowd presses right up against him. He doesn't have he doesn't have security. 
He doesn't have people set appointments. 95% of his, go- of, of his ministry in the Gospels is public. He's, he's rarely ever in private. He's available to anyone who wants to come to him. But, but right off the bat, the next thing that we see is we see Jairus fall at his feet, and, and, and Jesus says, all right, let's go. And so he went with him, verse 24. And, and what's so awesome about that is number two, you can write this down, Jesus is accessible. You might think these are kind of the same thing, but I want to point out that Jesus' availability to the crowd is one thing, but his accessibility to Jairus alone is something that we need to point out. He doesn't say, hey, Jairus, you know, aren't you the uh, kind of guy that's associated with those Pharisees that have been giving me a hard time? He doesn't label him. Labels don't really work with Jesus. He doesn't really see them. Or he doesn't, he doesn't say to Jairus, he doesn't say, hold on a second, Jairus, I've got to finish my 40-minute sermon. And he says, I got nothing better to do. Let's go. I got nothing better to do. And so he goes with them. Verse 24. And the crowd follows. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. I just imagine the, the, the narrow streets of Capernaum and everyone's sort of rubbing up against each other and it's awkward and it's not my kind of t- cup of tea. But in verse 24, Mark sort of switches, switches it up a little bit. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. There was a couple labels that I gave Jairus earlier, and, and I, whatever you think about Jairus when you, read this, when you read this passage, I just want you to take the opposite of that and give it to the woman. Give it to the woman. She, the woman despised in that culture, disrespected. Um, not only does she have a disease that, according to the law in Leviticus, forbid, forbid her from touching people or coming into contact with people, but she also wasn't allowed into the synagogue. She wasn't allowed to be cleansed. So pretty much like opposite labels, completely different people that Jairus runs into. She's poor, like she'd spent everything that she had to try to get out from under this label, this, this label of rejection and this label of outcast that she had in that culture. Verse 27 When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. And because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. It's that same same faith that Jairus had. You hear that absolute statement? If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. It's an absolute. I know it. I know I will be healed. Just touch his clothes. Her faith is amazing. Immediately, so she does it, she touches her clothes. In verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Freed from that label. Jesus kind of does something that's a little odd in this story. It says, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And his disciples thought it was funny. You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered? And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Just put yourself in that crowd. The woman is, is looking at Jesus, looking for her. He, 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 Jesus kind of looks silly. You know, did you, did you, who was it, who was it? You know, kind of looks silly. 
And I don't think it's because Jesus didn't know who touched him or who touched his clothes, but, but because, because of this wanting to find her, this searching her out, I think we can just, just find hope in knowing that Jesus wants a relationship. Jesus isn't just all about, Jesus is going to heal me, period, or Jesus is going to bless me, period. It's, he does those things. Don't think he doesn't. Jesus is going to heal me, comma. He wants a relationship. He's looking for her. And then the next verse, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole story, whole, whole truth. This is a verse that, that racks my brain. Knowing what had happened to her, she, she fell at his feet. She's trembling with fear. Was, was she afraid that Jesus was going to say, ah, I'm going to take that back? Was she afraid that Jesus was going to undo the, the healing? Why was she so afraid? I think my suggestion for what was going through her brain. Um, I don't have this on PowerPoint, but you guys can flip there, or I can just read it. But um, at the end of Mark chapter 4, now, like I said, Jesus and his disciples were on a return trip to Capernaum. But in Mark chapter 4, they leave Capernaum. They get in their boat, and they cross the Sea of Galilee. And halfway through the Sea of Galilee, the, the storm comes. And this is, this is a story that we've all heard in church, all Sunday school classic. The storm comes, and, and, and there's waves, and there's wind, and the disciples are freaking out, and Jesus is sleeping, and they wake him up, and he rebukes the wind, he rebukes the storm, and then he rebukes his disciples, ye of little faith. And then the disciples say, at the end of Mark chapter 4, they say, they, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So, so that's them crossing the Sea of Galilee the first time. And, and then they cross the Sea of Galilee, and they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to a, a region known as Gerasene. And we don't know a whole lot about Gerasene, but this is what we do know. Jesus gets off the boat, steps off into Gerasene, that region, and there is a man who's possessed by a demon, comes right up to him. Not just one demon, multiple demons. And Jesus performs this exorcism not only rebukes the demon and, and commands the demon to come out of the man, but allows the demon to go into a herd of pigs nearby. There's 2,000 pigs that these demons go into. And, and they, they go into the pigs, and the pigs rush down the hill, and they, they drown into the Sea of Galilee. And if you never heard that story, you've got to read Mark 5. It's awesome. And so the herdsman's like, what the what? And then everyone's like, what? And then everyone comes together, and they're like, what's going on? What's going on? What happened? What happened? And they're checking the, the witnesses, and everyone's like, who is this? Who is this? And, and, and right before our story started tonight, in Mark verse 17, Mark 5 verse 17, then the people began to plead. They begged Jesus to leave the region, leave Gerasene, because they were so afraid of him. And, and Mark, Mark in his gospel has, has methodically been showing us that not only is Jesus the Lord, but he's been showing us that the power of Jesus, methodically, he's been going right through it. Jesus commands the storm on the way to Gerasene. Jesus commands demons in Gerasene. And then on the way back, this woman touches his cloak 
knowing what had happened, and she goes to him trembling. Not because he was going to take it away, but, but because she had realized who he was. So that is when the story climaxes. And Jesus said to her in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is the uh, first and only time that the word daughter is used in the Gospels. This is a woman that had been under a label her entire life, 12 years. And not only was she healed, that wasn't good enough. She had a relationship with Jesus, and, and he relabeled her. He relabeled her. I, I use the word relabel. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of changed her label because she's still a woman. Like, she probably was still despised, disrespected. People probably didn't even believe that she was healed, so she probably had to go through that for a few more years. But he relabeled her, daughter, you are a child of mine. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, I want to highlight two more characteristics of Jesus, and they might have already been shown up. Number three was Jesus is interruptible. This is something that we see, and you almost forgot about it if you're reading the story. You almost forgot about it because you forgot about Jairus and his daughter. This woman comes up and touches his clothes, and it's like, who's Jairus? Jesus is instantly interrupted. He he doesn't, the whole crowd stops, Jairus stops, Jairus' daughter can wait. He's interrupted, searching for this relationship with this woman. And then number four, Jesus is unbeatable. We see that when Jesus is put up against anything, especially storms, demons, diseases, and labels. Jesus has this perfect record. And these are just a few of the characteristics of Jesus in this story. Um, the reason I, I decided to share with you labels, or talk about labels, but then go ahead and share with you the characteristics of Jesus, maybe, maybe the labels that we give him sometimes, and these are, these are good labels, um, is because I, uh, I, I, I've uh, grown up in uh, student ministry for a while, I uh, started going to student ministry when I was in sophomore high school and kind of kind of grew up in it, um, was sitting on the floor like you guys were sitting in it, and then had a wonderful opportunities to teach in front of people. So one thing that I absolutely hated is when someone got up on stage and they said, you know, you're dealing with what? Whatever it is. You're dealing with labels. You're dealing with sin. Um, whatever, whatever it is that, that you feel in bondage to right now, well, just, you know, repent, pray, read your Bible, go to church. That's it. That's what, that's, that's it. There's the door. I hated that. I hated that. I hated that to-do list. Pray, read your Bible, go to church, repent. That's how you deal with sin. 
Because part of me, I empathize with you if you've ever heard that before. Because, because not because you get sick of it or you hate it, but because you've tried it and it didn't work. And, and the reason that tonight's application is, is characteristics of Jesus is because I don't want to give you guys a to-do list. I don't want you, you to leave and say, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. Just forget about it. Forget about the to-do list. The only thing I want you to do, oh, excuse me, the only thing I want to happen tonight is for you to just think. Just think. You don't have to write anything down. You don't have to do physically do anything. I just want you to think about these characteristics. I believe that if you don't know who Jesus is, and, and when I mean no, I'm, I'm not talking about um, he's my Savior and, and I'm not going to hell, but, but if you don't really know who he is, then then you won't want to pray to him. Like, he's available, but, but if you don't know that, why would you pray to him? And he's, he's accessible, like, he's available to the crowd, but he's accessible to just one man. That's the minimum requirement. Only one. It doesn't have to be dozens of people that he has to be accessible to. He's not a conference speaker. And you're looking at this, and you're like, what are the characteristics? What are the characteristics? And and really, to be honest with you, he's, he's available to the crowd. He's accessible to Jairus. He's interrupted by the woman. He's unbeatable in every situation. And I hope you guys think about those because, because I want that to be a part of your life. I don't, I don't care about church and reading your Bible and pray because I know at the end of the day, if you don't know who your Savior is, you won't pray to him because you don't know him. And you won't open up your Bible to learn more about him because you don't, you don't care. And, and I, know, I know, like, not to beat you over the head, but statistically, you'll stop going to church when you graduate high school because your parents won't make you go anymore. So I, I, don't, I don't care about the to-do list. I want you to know and fall in love with Jesus. So one of the things that, if you wrote those down, those characteristics, like, you want a summary, or if you want application, that's your application. If you want a summary, you can just say, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. You don't have to relabel yourself to go to Jesus to be relabeled. That's ludicrous. You don't have to pretty yourself up. You don't have to, to make yourself look righteous. You don't have to say, oh, um, I accidentally sinned in the last hour. I guess I'm going to have to wait until next Wednesday to go to Oasis. Or next Wednesday to, to, to run to Jesus. They're, they're, that's the gospel. Like, you don't, you don't have to look good. You don't have to look good. And, and the, the sad thing is, is it, some of us, don't, we don't realize it. When, when sin came into this world and it infected us and affected us, like, like, when we were born of sin, you know what our label was? Our label was sinner. So if you sin, you're not really surprising anyone. You're not surprising Jesus. But the gospel is that these characteristics, characteristics of Jesus allow us to run to him in joy regardless of whatever situation we're in, regardless of whatever label we believe in. We can run to him in joy and find freedom from labeling, from wanting to be labeled, and especially from the trap that labels can cause us. So let me pray for us tonight. Um, if you're new tonight, you can come up to the stage and we'll uh, get you connected with a group.
Uh, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this wonderful opportunity at Brookside and Oasis to just preach your word. Um, such a freedom there is. God, I thank you for just a, an old classic story, Father, that where we can just pull characteristics about your son. Father, I, I thank you that, that you are a God that we can run to in joy. That's our hope. That's the gospel. We don't have to look pretty, God. I, I hope that's the, the thing we take away. Only, only Jesus really has the power to relabel us. And God, I, I pray that that is something that, that we never forget. In Jesus' name, amen.